0: As you find your seats, if you'll turn me with me in your Bibles, we're going to start in First Peter, chapter five. I'm going to flip to the Proverbs, so you may want to start in First Peter. Again, Chattanooga Christian School. It's great to have Sean and Sean Brower back in the house, our former headmaster and his family. Great to have you all here. Have you guys ever been to Clumpies? Anybody been to Clumpies? All right. Clumpy's Ice Cream in Chattanooga, Uh, somehow I found myself there, I saw some of your students there, it was great to see you guys here in worship together. We're on a journey, we're in the second week of a 10 week journey, and what we're doing together, it's kind of going to be difficult. I pray that God's spirit is going to be with us in power in a way that only God can, reveal to us some things that are difficult, some things that we have in our life that are uh, not pleasing to Him. We're embarking on a 10-week journey together called Orangewood's Ten Deadliest Sins. And some of you have asked some really good questions. One of the questions I want to address this morning is this. What is uh, particular about Orangewood and these sins? I mean, is this just us? Or is this something that's more common in the church today? And I want to tell you that these ten sins, really, I believe, uh, through prayer, uh, through research, through uh, discussion with the leadership, these are some of the things that we wrestle with greatly, that are very clearly a part of our church family. But probably, the truth be known, I think if you take Orangewood and you, you lay us across any typical suburban church, the similar demographic of ours. These are probably ten similar struggles. Some of you have asked, well, how did you come up with these ten? Internet? Okay. So just want to let you know. No. It's, it was getting away, spending some time with the Lord, wrestling uh, through this series, and you know, the truth is there are probably ten of Jeff Jakes's deadliest sins. Things that I, I wrestle with. Because what God does every week is he takes me to the mat. He reveals to me uh, my brokenness. And and then spirit kind of builds me up and sends me out there and says, go get him. But again, I want you to know uh, this Sunday and each one of these Sundays that this preacher stands before you who's one with you. One who desperately needs a savior. One who struggles like you do, but has great hope and a perfect savior who's washed away my sins and perfect righteousness that robes me. Do you know that, Joy? Man, there's, there's nothing like that. So as God deals with me, I'll try to deal with you. And uh, if it feels like I'm hammering you, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit, okay? And uh, don't get mad at me, get mad at him. And uh, but all together, let us truly, truly seek God's face. Let's say, God, have your work with us. It's amazing. I've had so much response already to last week. And uh, I'm excited to have you guys here today. I want to tell you about a phrase I heard not too long ago that kind of turned my stomach, uh, made me want to uh, uh, get sick. But it's about us. And it kind of has to do with that last song we sang, Perfect People. Do you know that someone had the audacity to say to me, senior pastor of Orangewood Presbyterian Church, about our church, I quote, oh, Orangewood, that's the Perfect People Church. And then they went on to say, basically, Orangewood's the church where all the people have it all together. Now, thank you for laughing. <laughs> but I want to say, obviously, they don't know us, right? I mean, if they're thinking we're the perfect people church. We're the church that has it all together. We're the, uh, the good looking ones. We're the ones that have been blessed Like, Come on. Do you really know us? But I think we've got to go farther than that. If, if, and I've heard it from others. i heard it directly from one. I've heard it from others. And the question I want to ask is this. What is it about us? Orangewood, let's lean into this. Let's be honest. Let's be bold. What is it about us that's going to cause a watching world to look at us and say, oh, that's the perfect people, church? What are we communicating at times, maybe uh, un- subconsciously? But why would a world look to us and say, we have it all together? Well, you know, there might be parts of that that we want to rejoice in God's grace. But really, I believe what's at the root of this, what's at the core of this, and I believe there's truth to this, is pride. Pride. Pride is uh, truly a... uh, um, a desire for us to look good. And really, Orangewood, it's my hope and prayer. Listen, as your pastor, it's so much my hope and prayer that the outside watching world will not say that's the place where the people, perfect people go because here's what we should be. That's the place that the broken people go. That's the place that the people who need a savior go to and worship because that's what Christianity is all about. It's about broken people like you and me realizing, realizing by God's grace that we are broken. We are incomplete. We are needy. We do need transformation. We do need a, a transformation from the inside out. And we come to church to a perfect God and say, transform us. Oh, it's my hope and it's my prayer that as we grow together in Christ's likeness, that Orangewood would be known as a place the safe place where broken people go to hear good news about a Savior. But what's at the core that's causing us maybe to give us a message that's not that? And it's really pride. As we look at this word pride, at this sin pride, we could spend the next 10 weeks on this sin alone. It's true of most sins, but really pride is one of those things that is a you as, it's like a layer of an onion. As you unmask, as, as you peel back the layers of most of our sins, at the core of most of our sins is pride. And really, truly, pride is in opposition to the gospel. Because pride is in opposition to God. Listen to uh, how much God detests this great evil. In, in Proverbs 16:5, it says, the Lord detests. The Lord detests. Our ears should really perk up. The Lord detests what? The Lord detests all the proud of heart. He detests it. God is going to come and say, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm angry about the sin of pride. I detest it. And it goes on to say in Proverbs sixteen five, and in no way will a proud heart not go unpunished. Again, I think I'm going to to start off by explaining to you a little bit about what pride is. And then I'm going to tell you about the one nugget today and this very gross sin that we're going to look at together. Pride, what is it? Well, we can see it in four ways. Again, there's more than this. This is not an exhaustive list, but this might help you. One, thinking that you and I are better than other people. Pride is is, is exalting ourselves to thinking that there's something in us that is superior, that is greater. And you know what's amazing? Sometimes with a church like ours, with wonderful, wonderful theology, that we see God's word uh, unfolding as one story. I'm so proud of our theology. Even sometimes our theology can become a source of pride. And I know in my own life, you know, sometimes I, I hear other pastors or I'm around other pastors. And there's a bit where I want to kind of stick my chest out and say, I, I'm, a, I'm a PCA pastor. We got our theology down pat. We got to be careful of anything in our lives. Anything, it's the color of our skin, our education, our economic status. There's so many things that we can look at and elevate ourselves. And we can drive down different areas of town and say, I'm better. What a joke. What do you have? What do I have that God hasn't given to us? But by the grace of God, we are the color that we are. But by the grace of God, we have what we have. It's all been given to us by God. Why in the world would we do anything other than say thank you for who I am and let me be a good steward of that? So the first thing about pride is thinking that we're better than other people. The second thing about pride is thinking that you and I are self-sufficient. I I really do believe that this this is a big one for us, Orangewood. We're we're pretty self sufficient people. We're well educated. I mean, how much do we really need God for our, things like our daily bread? When I read through Scripture, especially looking at the uh, the churches that John is writing to in the Book of Revelation, there's a book uh, a church there called the Church of Laodicea at Laodicea. And they got a problem. I mean, they got a problem at Laodicea. It's a really big problem because God wants to spew him out of their, his mouth. And the problem with the church of Laodicea is they were lukewarm. They weren't really crazy about God. They weren't all excited, zealous, nor were they really cold. They were kind of in the middle lukewarm. We see when you're self-sufficient, usually your faith, your Christianity, your belief in God often becomes pretty tepid, pretty lukewarm. As a matter of fact, it was at this location at Laodicea that they felt like they were so wealthy, they were so well-resourced, when an earthquake went through their church, they said to Rome, don't send us your money, we're, we're fine. We're self-sufficient. We don't need any government aid. We're good. And I think that we've got to look at ourselves very clearly, Orangewood, and sometimes say, are we acting like we're self-sufficient? Oh, sure, there's times that God will bring a story into our life, a chapter in our life, that will remind us of how, how much we need Him. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a struggling marriage. But we've got to be careful with pride and self-sufficiency. The third one is this, exalting self. It's it's the desire to have ourselves lifted up above others. And I I think again, biblically, of Herod in Acts chapter 12. Receiving the praise of man and not giving the Lord the praise, but wanting to be worshipped. When Herod spoke, they started screaming in the crowd, We're hearing the voice of God, not man. Man, I, can you imagine if that one time you guys said that when I preached? Just one time? Well, if you did, you'd be a lunatic. Thank you. I know you won't. But what Herod did is he said, yeah, it's awesome. Look at me. I'm Sandra D." And shortly thereafter, uh, uh, his, his life was taken from him. But the, what I want to look at this morning is this, Orangewood. There's one thing about pride that I believe that God's Spirit is leading us to look at this, this morning together. And it's this: it's wanting to look good in front of others. It's wanting to have our marriage, our families, our jobs, our life, our reputation, our names, wanting ourselves to look good around others. It's amazing. We come in here with our Sunday best. And even in a corporate worship service, at times, we have a hard time not projecting what we want others to see. When we pass a piece, it's usually a pretty quick token, may the peace of Christ be with you. But let me ask you, are we really, truly being prideful? Are we just trying to project our, our, our best? When I think about, in Scripture, those who wanted to look good, what comes to mind is the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to be religious people. Religious people who looked good with their religion and weren't very honest. You know, Jesus got in their face. Jesus did not like religion that was external. Jesus was really offended. He was angry. I mean, he dealt very, very sternly with those who who did their religious stuff so man could praise them, And they weren't honest about who they really were. So let's look to God's Word, and let's see God's heart regarding pride. Again, sometimes in this series, like, we're going to come back to lust is going to be next. That's going to be an easy one, isn't it? No problem there. All right? Um, but we're going to come to lust, and in lust, we're going to look at a particular biblical character. So sometimes we'll look at a character. Sometimes we'll, we'll look through different verses. But today, we're going to look at a New Testament verse. Uh, this verse is repeated in the book of James. We're also going to turn to the Proverbs. But there's so many stories there's so many verses that are going to deal with this thing called pride. How is it with you? Is a problem? How is it with you? Do you care about what others see, think about you? Are you working real hard to protect your name, your reputation? Let's dig into God's word. Remember, it's holy. It's inerrant. 1 Peter, uh, verse five, uh, chapter five, verse five. In the same way, you who are younger. Submit yourselves to the elders. All of you, clothe yourself. Listen, all of you, Orangewood, my dear loving family, all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble and to the oppressed. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 29. Verse 23. Pride pride brings a person low. But the lowly in spirit gain honor. Let us pray. God, the amazing thing about preaching on pride is I'm going to be worried about my performance. (laughs) And I have to confess as we begin, I I just can't get away from my sin. Father, I confess that there's so many things I do, even even things that I do for this church and for you, that I do for the the praise of man, forgive me. Father, you know the truth. You know the truth about me. You know the one who stands here. You you know how much I wrestle with this. But God, something needs to happen supernatural here because we need to hear from you because my brothers and sisters need to have the Holy Spirit speak in their life. And to remind us how repugnant pride is to you and how much it is in opposition to the gospel. So Father, I, I, I beg you that you would be pleased to come with power through the preaching of your word, that, that, that Spirit of living God, that you would do that which only you could do, that you would open up our ears to hear the voice of God, that, that Spirit, that you would illumine our minds so that we can understand what your word has for us that You would come with power, God, into our hearts and You would convict us that we would have the ability to confess how prideful we really are, that You would give us the gift of faith, that You would create in us a clean heart, and that, Father, that You would empower our feet that we could walk out of here humbly, knowing the good news of Jesus and leaving behind and swallowing our pride because we swallowed deeply the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come and speak. Have your way with us. Be glorified. Challenge us, but give us joy. We pray in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Two points that will be unpacked before you. The first one is this. God is opposed to the proud. God is opposed to the proud. Why? Because pride is opposed to the gospel. I love the wisdom of the Proverbs. It says this, what pride is supposed to do is supposed to lift us up and puff us up. But the gospel tells us the truth about pride. It says, pride will bring us low It will bring us low. But the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel is that he will bring us high. What does pride make us do? Well, you'll you'll see along. By the way, it's in your bulletin. If you want to follow along uh, this outline, it's going to be on the insert uh, or on the front panel there. Pride makes us pretend. Pride makes us pretend. Makes us pretend that we have it all together. I'll never forget a dearly beloved elder in this church. He's been here a long time. Uh, Scott Alexander, been battling and battling cancer. Many of you have been praying for him and he's been sharing with us about what God has done in his heart and in his life and in his marriage. And you know what rings in my ears? The amazing story what rings in my ears is that our brother stood before us and he said this to us. He said, it's easier for me to tell you I have cancer than it is for me to tell you that my marriage is struggling. Because sometimes, even in in, in godly men and elders and pastors, our pride makes us want to pretend that we have it all together. That our families are all together. That our kids are growing up just the way they should be. That our marriages aren't struggling. That our jobs are okay. Pride makes us pretend that we have it together. And it's in opposition to the gospel, because the truth of the gospel is, we don't. And the great news is this, is God says, I don't want you to come to me as you have it all together. I want you to come to me, the good news of the gospel, completely undone. I want you to come with me, to me with reality. And here's what the gospel does for us. The gospel of Jesus Christ will say, I'm going to demonstrate the Father's love for you and me that while we are sinners, while we are broken, while we are undone, Jesus is going to come and rescue us. And I love it because he says, I'm going to come and to seek and to save the who? The lost. How did he do with the people who thought they had it all together? How did he do with the people that were pretending? He usually didn't get it. You see, what the gospel, what pride does is it makes us pretend. But what the gospel does, it says this you and I are loved. We're loved. We're loved by the Father exactly the way we are. So you know what the Gospel does? It allows us to be real. Such good news. We don't have to pretend. And listen, there's something really wrong with us here at the church if we have to pretend with one another. If we have to pretend that everything is okay... Listen, as we realize what Christ has done for us, as we realize how depth of the Father's love, we should be able to be freed to go to one another and say, brother, sister, my life is undone. My marriage is crumbling. My kids are rebelling. My my, my struggle with sin is, 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 is not being quenched. I'm just sinning more and more. See, but this pride of Having to look good, this pride of having to have it all together, it's gonna make us even come into a room like this pretending. Pretending that we have it all together. And I got such wonderful news for you. God doesn't want you to pretend, He wants you to be real. And the only way you and I could be real is we know that in the midst of our brokenness, we really are loved. And that's what God tells us. Don't pretend. Run to Jesus. Run to the gospel. Live an authentic life. Be okay with your warts. Be okay with your brokenness. My son's paid for them. Pride, it makes us pretend. You know what else pride does? It makes us conceal. I remember, uh, I remember meeting with a young mom and... and uh, uh, pretty prominent family and a great family and a typical family, but going through some struggles. And I remember uh, hearing that they had a really hard time coming into counseling because, you ready for this? I might see him in the church office. And if I see him in the church office, I might know that their marriage is not okay. And if I see him in the office, I might ask them the question, what are you doing here? And they may have to tell me the truth that their marriage is struggling. And my heart broke. I said, am I really a pastor that if you came into the office and told me that your marriage is struggling, that I'm going to make you feel embarrassed? Oh, Lord, forgive me if that's what I am. And I want you to know, that's not the case. Come. If you need help in your marriage, don't conceal it. Come if you're having struggles with a certain sin, don't conceal it. Come because you're going to come to another sinner saved by grace, or as you come to our other pastors or other counselors, know that we're in the same boat. Pride is going to make us conceal that we have it all together. It's a liar. But the good news of the gospel is that we can reveal. We can reveal the truth because not only are we loved you, right for this, we're forgiven. We're forgiven. And so we can come to one another, know that yet there's nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're living it out. We really believe it. And therefore, we no longer have to conceal. We have the power through the Holy Spirit to reveal and to be honest with one another and say, I'm undone. I'm praying that God will use you in my life to help me. Would you come? You see, what we want to do is we want to conceal our faults. But the gospel gives us the ability to say, no. It's all right. You're forgiven. You know what this incredible good news of the gospel does? In Romans 8, chapter 1, it talks about all the sins that God is still mad at and all the sins that we should still reveal or, 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 or conceal. In Romans 8, chapter 1, it says those things that God just can't forgive. Here's what it says. Therefore, there is... No condemnation. None. For those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're to hear today, and by God's grace, you've embraced Jesus as Savior, you know, let me tell you what this means. This means that your sins have been nailed to a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. Now, which sins are those? Those are your past sins. Those are your present sins. And you're ready for some really good news? Those are your future sins. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those sins are paid for. There's no double jeopardy in God's eyes. We don't have to conceal them any longer. They've been dealt with. They're under the blood. The gospel gives us the good news that we can now reveal them. Why? Because God's not going to stop loving you. And that blood of the lamb was efficient and effective to take sinners like us and make us ready for this. White as snow. It's unbelievable. That's the truth of the gospel. But what pride wants to do is says, no, 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 you got to conceal. You can't tell the truth. But Jesus wants us to live authentic lives because we are loved and we are forgiven. Pride makes us want to protect. It makes us want to protect our name and our reputation. Another sad story that, that percolates up to the uh, the church offices? Are those that, of you who your kids are struggling? Specifically, it's, it's interesting, when your, your largest ministry is a school ministry, and your kids, are you ready for this? I hate to reveal this in public, but I'm going to tell you, some of your kids are going to get in trouble. Some of your kids are going to do the wrong thing. Man, I'm glad mine aren't. I'm glad mine are perfect. Some of your kids may make bad decisions. Some of them might be really bad. Some of them may have some pretty big consequences. Sometimes we hear, don't let the pastors know. Because I wouldn't want them to think differently about our family. Oh, yours is perfect. Because the gospel makes us want to protect our name and our reputation. I'm sorry, I said the gospel. Completely messed that up. Pride makes us want to protect our name, our reputation. And one of these days it's gonna be like a lightning bolt, you know? It's <laughs> scary. The gospel lets us expose. Because we carry his name, and his name's more important than ours. We can be honest. And we can say, you know what? We're his. And our kids are his. And they're going to make mistakes. And sometimes they're going to make big mistakes. But listen, here's, here's the reality of the, of the gospel that's so beautiful that we kind of miss. I believe that we could show more of Christ's character through forgiving them and by dealing with them, and by covering it up. Don't you agree? I mean, I mean if we're, we're a body of believers, and we all know that we've been saved by God's grace, not by works, if we all get it that we're all in the same boat, and when our kids mess up, or when, when other members mess up, and, and yeah, of course there's consequences. But you see what this pride does? It wants us to protect. And, and, and instead of Saying it's okay. The church doesn't do real good here often. A lot of times we want to shoot our wounded. A lot of times, and that's why it's a lot of times why you want to protect because gossip and gossip's a terrible thing. And there's something wrong with us that we love telling the dirt on other people. What in the world's the matter with us? But it's true because we are sinners. Now, if we look and we're afraid. We're going to protect. We're going to conceal. We're going to cover up. But the gospel's different. It's going to say, no, no. You're loved. You're forgiven. You ready for this? You're his. Don't worry about your name. Don't worry. You're mine. It's my name. Pride makes us focus on ourselves. And loses focus on God. It does. we got We got to keep up the act. I mean... If, it, if it's all about being, looking good to one another, I mean, the show never ends, does it? <laughs> I mean, you've got to keep this act up 24-7. Don't ever let your guard up. And so what are you doing? You and I are focusing on ourselves. How are we looking to other people? What are they going to say about us? What does our family look like in this situation or that situation? Really, it is so narcissistic, is it not? Why? Because it makes us focus on us. Who's the center of the universe in a prideful heart? We are. Whose name are we concerned about? Ours. Whose reputation are we concerned about? Ours. It's about us. It's, and, it, and it just, it, it's loathsome. It just smells like smoking from the pit of hell. You ever heard that? Wish I could say it like Steve Brown. <laughs> Why? Because pride makes us focus on ourselves and we lose focus on God. You see, the whole point is this. Pride is in direct Opposition with the good news of the gospel. And the only way you are able to leave here today, and this is the truth, the only way that you're able to leave here today without your pride, and the only ability you have to swallow your pride is to swallow deeply the good news of Jesus Christ contained in the gospel. That's the only way. And for many of us, we say, I thought I did that, but once again, we got to drink and swallow deeply the good news of Jesus Christ in the gospel. It's the only way that we are going to be able to leave here without our pride. I think I said this this morning, but I want to say it again to you. Are you here this morning embracing Christ Jesus as Savior? If you're not, our hope and prayer is that today's the day. But if you're here today, and I know many of you are, and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a few things I want to remind you about, okay? Very important things, and they may seem elemental, but we'll never get past pride unless we get these things in our minds, our hearts, our souls, our hands, our feet, our shoe leather. Listen, if you are a child of the living God, your sins, past, present, and future, have been nailed to a cross. They've been paid for. You are forgiven, If you are here as a child of the living God, you have robed about you the perfection of Christ. God the Father can see you not with the perfect righteousness of man. That would be pretty cool. But he sees us with the perfect righteousness of God. Unbelievable. That not only are we forgiven and we have been cleansed, we have been made beautiful. Beautiful. God the Father can see and delight in us. That's why He rejoices over us. That's why He sings over us. That's why He's lavished the love upon us that we should be called the children of God. And you ready for this? And that is what we are. That's the Gospel. Forgiven. Made beautiful. Empowered. Clothed in Christ's righteousness. Now, because of that reality, we can live our lives authentically. We can... We can come into a place like this and say, I'm still undone. I'm still struggling. We don't have to conceal. We don't have to pretend. How are we doing? Can you imagine church like this? Can you imagine what Christianity would do across our country if believers lived out the gospel with this much authenticity? Can you imagine what God would do through Orangewood if we really, really, really were passionate about his name and can care less about ours? If we really, really lived out of the delight of the Father and didn't care about the delight of man, talk about freedom. (laughs) Talk about power. That's what we're called to, brothers and sisters. I think once we look at this, we can start to see the pride the pride of wanting to look good the pride that we demonstrate to a watching world but god gives grace to the humble why second point because humility is the fruit of the gospel what should be coming out of our lives what should be demonstrated what others should be able to see because we are in love with Jesus is humility. Because the whole gospel story is a story of a gracious God loving broken sinners. It shouldn't cause us to be puffed up. It should cause us to be on our knees with tears of joy saying thank you and showing the fruit of the gospel through humility. Proverbs, again, Proverbs twenty nine, twenty three says this. Pride brings a person low. It robs life. I mean, it really, it's a false life. But the lowly in spirit, they gain honor. Here's the three things I have for you. One is humility brings honor. It brings honor. Honor to who? Honor to Christ. Here's the deal. I got such good news for you. You... And me, we don't have to live our lives out there pretending we're perfect. Here's all we got to do. You and me have to show our friends, our family, our neighbors that we need Jesus. Okay? Show them your brokenness. It's okay. You know, sometimes we live our lives so scared that our Christian witness is going to be thrown away if if we say the wrong thing or we get angry or we, we, heaven forbid, we sin. Listen, we're gonna sin all the time. Go sin. Well, I'm not saying, I mean, don't run into it, but sin. <laughs> but repent of it. I think the most powerful thing we could do to our neighbors is say, you know what, I lost my temper, and I know you saw it, and I'm really sorry. Man, I'm telling you what, I need Jesus. It's okay. Instead, we're ashamed, like, oh my goodness, I think they saw that. That's terrible. They know I'm a Christian. They're gonna think I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You and I are hypocrites. We're hypocrites. Okay, But let them know it. That's why we need Jesus. He wasn't. That's why we're clinging really tight to him. We don't want to be hypocrites. We're trying to be walking a manner worthy of the gospel. How are you doing? I'm stumbling. But I have a Savior who doesn't. And I think the power of the gospel is seen through our humility and our brokenness. You see... God has to empty out self to fill up with himself. And that's why he honors the humble, because they're they're emptying out, they're dying to selfish ambition and vain conceit, so they could be filled up with the beauty of the gospel. That's why God honors the humble. Why? Because when they see you, they see me. Guess who they see? Jesus, when we're humble. Because humility honors Christ. And the Father loves to honor the Son. That is what it means that humility brings honor. Not puffing up ourselves, but letting Christ be seen. Humility brings blessing. I almost said bling. Humility bling. We get really nice necklaces that are really like bling bling, like humility. Humility. Humility brings blessing. Listen to uh, the Beatitudes of Matthew 5. Blessed, Jesus said, oh, how blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. The meek, blessed. For they will inherit the earth. See, humility brings blessings. Because, again, God can fill us up with himself. He wants to bless us in our humility so others can see clearly Christ. He wants to bless us with the, with the things of God that won't tarnish or be stolen, that are eternal. Humility brings wisdom. Proverbs eleven twelve says this, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. And here it is. Wisdom for living, not pretending. Listen, this is what it means. Wisdom for living authentically, not pretending. That's what humility does as a fruit from the gospel. As we understand, God wants us to live abundant life. He wants us to have life and real life, life abundantly, not a pretending life. Sin of pride is going to rob life. It's going to cause us to pretend, conceal. But the gospel is going to allow us to live. How are we going to respond, Orangewood? Are we going to really press into this gospel and say, I believe it. I want to live more authentically. It's okay. My kids are... Need be pray- prayed for, I'm going to tell others about it. If my marriage needs help, I'm going to be okay to talk about it. If I'm struggling with a sin, I'm going to find someone I could trust and I'm going to ask them to pray for me. And I'm, I'm not going to try to pretend I have it all together. I've tried to demonstrate for you that I'm needing Jesus. And I pray to God that I'll continue to show you that because that's the truth. And together, let's cling to the one who gives us life and righteousness and forgives us so we can live that abundant, free life. I also believe that we need, to, uh, we need to pray. We need to confess. Is it not true that we live prideful lives? Is it not true that we, we try to live for our own name? So I want to take a few moments, and we're going to pray together. And here's how this one's going to work. I'm going to pray and say a sentence prayer. I'm going to give you a few minutes to respond silently. And we're, in a few moments after that, we'll close in prayer, and we'll sing. but let's, let's spend time with God. Let's be honest. And let's start with repentance. So will you please buy your hearts with me? Pray with me. Let the Spirit come. Take a few moments and just I know it's a holiday weekend. I know you got plans. We got time. Just ask God to come, to convict, to speak, and to comfort. Father, I come as the chief repenter who needs to repent from sins. And a sin of pride. Father, I confess that oftentimes I care more about my name than I do yours. Would you take a few moments and confess that you too can compare, uh, uh, care too much about your name over his. Father, I confess that I care more about my reputation than I do yours. Father, I confess that I care more about what man thinks of me than what you think of me. Father, I confess that I spend a lot of time and energy Covering up my faults, my foibles, my sins, and forgetting about the blood of Christ. Father, I confess that I try to show a life that has it all together. And I forget the righteousness of Christ. Father, I confess that we together have pretended. We've lived a lie too often and we fail to live out the gospel. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for washing away our sins. Thank You that You tell us that if we come to You and we confess our sin and our unrighteousness, that You freely forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And again, make us white as snow. Father, I pray for this incredible, wonderful church that God, that You, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of Christ, through the reality of the Gospel, that we would be a city on a hill, that we would be the salt of the earth, that we would be a place where we boldly live out the Gospel, clinging to the cross of Christ, robed in His righteousness, knowing that we're new creatures in Christ, no longer having to pretend, no longer having to conceal, no longer having to fake it, but to live our life authentically as sinners saved by grace, the blood of the Lamb. All for Your glory, we pray. Amen. Orangewood, hear this assurance of pardon. For those of you who have confessed your sins to a holy God, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Know that you are forgiven. And be at peace. Thanks be to God. Because He is mighty to save. Please stand.